Hey, this is Mark. As the health system returns to normal and addresses the COVID-related backlog of care, health systems are harnessing predictive models like AI and other AI-driven applications as a way to target outreach efforts for everything from cancer screening to elective surgeries. But in these patient communications lies the potential for bias and perpetuating health inequities rather than remediating them as vulnerable communities get further left behind. This week on the podcast, the link between mitigating bias in data and equitable patient communications and how marketers can move the needle measurably on DEI and efforts by focusing on data fairness. I'm Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large, and welcome to the MMM Podcast, medical marketing and media's show about healthcare marketing writ large. We've heard the term techquity, the fusion of technology to improve health equity, bandied about recently. Put another way, tech equity is making sure everyone gets access to healthcare and making sure we mitigate the unintended consequences of using AI in healthcare. I wanted to do a podcast explaining how tech equity relates to healthcare marketing, and that's where my guest, Chris Hemphill, comes in. Chris is a data scientist and is VP of Allied AI and Growth for Actium Health and the host of their show, Hello Healthcare Unplugged, which you may have seen on YouTube. We'll talk about Chris's work mitigating bias in data and driving equitable patient communications, as well as some real-life examples of ensuring responsible, fair algorithms. Chris, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about this topic. Same here. And uh, I'm, I'm excited that you're uh, helping to provide a platform for this topic as well. Great. Yeah. You know, you and I were chatting offline and, and can we, we both, I think, uh, discovered the term techquity recently uh, coming out of the, uh, the Vive conference uh, in Miami recently. Vive, for those who might not, may not know, it was a uh, new event focused on the business of health systems. And there, were, there was a whole track devoted, I think, to techquity, as, as they put it, uh, and how um, AI-driven applications uh, contain this, this potential for bias. Uh, and so, Emerging topic, expert in the in the area, I had to do it. So, <laughs> uh, got a lot to talk about here. So let's let's get started. Just sure thing. I thought it'd be be great to give listeners a little bit of a background. Uh, if you gave them a little bit of background on yourself, you know, you've taught data science, uh, but how did you make the leap from AI driven applications on the sales and service side to ensuring health equity in AI? It was a really, it, it was kind of a natural progression. So with my history, I started out in a, a sales role at a healthcare analytics firm. And uh, the, whole, the, the whole question that I had uh, was, how can I get involved in uh, helping health systems to make data-driven decisions about, about their outreach? There's a lot of background on that, but let's shorten the story by saying I read Freakonomics back in college. And uh, that was really inspirational to me because what a lot of those uh, case studies that that they covered had was they took they, they took institutions that were driven by into like by people's intuitions and longstanding traditions and they said wait a minute when we start looking at the data uh, there's all kinds of people that we've been ignoring there's uh, racism and bias and issues uh, that 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 have uh, that that haven't been addressed and now we're like now that we're starting to use data to to uncover these things and this was like back in the uh, the mid 2000s when like being data driven wasn't at the forefront of every, everybody's mind so a lot of what they were revealing was and the, and the methods they used to reveal it were really surprising 
surprising. Uh, and, and that really just fueled my interest in, in being involved in like data-driven uh, firms to, to begin with. So from the sales side, I went to the uh, sales analytics side, making predictions about where sales teams should uh, target their efforts and what uh, health systems were most likely to engage with the, uh, the analytics project. So we'll, I guess we'll call it analytics of the analytics company. And from there, it took more of an interest in like, being able to do more advanced things with, with like with the algorithms and predictions there. And that involved having to learn and study uh, data science, Python, and some things that would give me access to better and more focused tools to make the kinds of predictions we needed to make. Um, and that, that kind of, that kind of carried a natural transition being involved, like speaking with uh, healthcare leaders for the, the most, uh, for, for the majority of my career and uh, then going to that data science angle. I, I think it was kind of a way of building up some domain expertise around uh, healthcare analytics itself, and then getting deeper and deeper into it. I, I guess I just go all the way down the rabbit hole to uh, at the one point it's levels of conversations, and then all the way down to uh, like really focused on learning how to to run the analysis and, and algorithms themselves. But just making that that link back to Freakonomics because it, it's all tied together. Uh, just as somebody who is black in tech and, and healthcare and all that, uh, one thing that that's just constantly on my mind is w- w- like when I talk about the value of like looking at data to find things that we previously would have ignored that 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 previously would have w- would have gone uncovered that's really the story of the like I, this is the story of my life is that uh growing up in Alabama um people didn't have high expectations of me they, they like like there there wasn't that that belief in me and I always kind of felt like an outlier and um it's it kind of speaks to where I, I I think people ignore a lot of people's potential and I think that data has a way of uh, saying hey wait a minute that there, there's potential here there like here here's what we should should be paying attention to and you can verify why and it opens the door to uh when you well there, there's a book I read in 2016 weapons of math destruction write that one down mm-hmm. Paul. that's a great book by Kathy yeah. O'Neill and a great pun but um <laughs> it, it that that book went into detail highlighting a lot of the differences a, a lot of the challenges where uh organizations would enact algorithms enact these uh these data-driven approaches but not pay attention to how their decisions that they're making when deciding who to uh deliver loans to or deciding to who who to advance in certain educational programs they weren't paying attention to the gender and age and racial biases that that uh that these approaches uh were, were introducing so it's, it's extremely important to me thinking about issues where my my grandmother or my mother might have not had access or not had communication about the the, t- the types of care that they need like just it's it's extremely personal for me like I, it's it's ex- exciting to be able to we, we like we call it ai artificial intelligence but it, it's always been an extremely personal thing for me i had forgotten how seminal a book freakonomics was as you put it uh, very succinctly and using data to draw attention to things that we may have neglected. Mm-hmm. But not only that, I, I don't, don't be kind here. I mean, we, we had practices in the past where redlining was done, you know, using data, you know, is in, in, in a way to discriminate on the basis of zip code in the uh, granting of, of loans and, and mortgages, mortgages mm-hmm. and things like that. So um, it's not just that it was being 
you know, we were neglecting, but we were actually actively using it in, in a discriminatory way. Uh, and so um, we're in 2022 and, uh, you know, we're, yeah, definitely still doing that. Like uh, when, when, when we look at like, it might not be explicit. There, there might not be a, uh, a like a, a racial, like somebody, somebody explicitly calling out that we want to, um, the, to be biased by race, but uh, like, like making decisions by uh, zip code and uh, like ignoring kind of the, like the commingling factors of, 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 uh, of when you're making decisions on zip code and how that ties to income and socioeconomic factors still widely happening in, in finance today. Mm-hmm. Which just uh, perpetuates uh, a lot of the health inequities uh, that drive the social determinants of health and impact people's health directly. And so mm-hmm. uh, and that that's where uh, responsible AI comes in. I wanted to ask you, you know, how does Actium Health define responsible AI and how, how did it come to that definition? So we don't have a, a like it- there's not a, a written definition like this, like this is responsible. It's more of a commitment to we have to look at this stuff on a case by case basis. I think the first step, like if, if I were to come up with something right now for it, the, the first step would be to be aware that data can be biased, that data that like that that data can be used, can contain lies and be used to perpetuate lies and things like that. I think it's the, the, the first step on the responsible AI approach that just the, the concept in general is let's make a commitment to look at how models perform or, or how our outreach performs across racial groups, gender groups, age groups. Let's start breaking this stuff down and seeing if there's a difference, seeing, seeing where the bias is. I think a lot of people, uh, I, I, I still hear the phrase like the data never lies and things like that. And, and uh, I think that, that people have this uh, feeling that Oh, when there's math involved, that takes all the uh, takes mm-hmm. away the bias. Mm-hmm. That means that they're sticking their heads in the sand and not paying attention to uh, well, what if what, like what if an algorithm like what, what, like you, people might have heard of uh, th- these computer vision approaches these uh, these approaches that were designed to t- to detect people in photos that would perform really well on white people but not perform as well on uh, people in minority groups and detecting mm-hmm. who's a person, et cetera. So the math isn't, the, but like there, there's, there's not some sort of equation that, that just eliminates bias or anything like that. Like I, I, I'm hoping that if people start thinking about responsible AI or tech equity, they start like the first step, the first, con, the, the first step is to acknowledge that, that, Hey, there's a potential for bias here and we should break down uh, by these categories, by age, by gender, by race, by et cetera, by sex uh, to identify and quantify where the bias might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's rather than uh, the, the statistics don't lie. It's more like, lies, damn lies and statistics, right? It's, it's, there definitely is bias there. And, you know, you, you bring up the, uh, the, the, the lens example and the, the photography example. I just interviewed uh, Elisa Sue uh, Lynch, uh, who's um, with Google cloud down mm-hmm. at, at Vive. Uh, and that's one of the things she talked about is that how Google, Google uh, addressed that issue in, in the pixel six uh, with improving its, uh, image recognition uh, to when scanning images, I guess, using uh, automation uh, to better pick up uh, various skin tones, including those of black people um, and identify them as people, you know, in, in images, uh, mm-hmm. which was a long time coming. So uh, that'll, that'll be going live on our site uh, in, in coming days. Um, but I also wanted to ask you now to um, 
make the link back to mitigating bias and data to equitable patient communications. Tell us about some of the, um, you know, work that's being done as the health system reboots and addresses that COVID lag, as I mentioned earlier uh, during my intro, um, how, um, you know, there's a potential for bias in, in, in those AI-driven applications. So, yeah, and I, and I, I like the uh, the question about, like, where's the potential for bias? Now, the um, a few months ago, if you said where's the potential for bias in AI algorithms, that, like I, w- I would have talked about the AI algorithms uh, specifically. But I think that the, the 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 potential for bias, since we talk about the business processes, the economics of the situation, uh, it, it's that the bias occurs much much sooner than uh, like when it gets down to the AI algorithm. The AI algorithm is just taking in data that's reflective of uh, who was able to come in for services, which is reflective of who's able to pay for services, who's socioeconomically predisposed to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to go in and try to receive those services. So it's inherent that you're getting a, a, a biased data set to work with. So one, like, like what we're trying to focus on is not just addressing issues in, in the bias in an algorithm, Algorithm, like yeah, we want to, we want to fix that, but we want really want to focus on using this algorithm to expand outreach in ways that like we're we're talking about like hey, what would what wouldn't we have done before? Who who may we have ignored before? We want to use machine learning to to get into these nuances to identify people who otherwise wouldn't have been wouldn't have received outreach. And I'll give an example of uh, age bias, in uh, because I, I know a lot of people run uh, cardiology campaigns that are based on men who are 45 and above women who are 55 and above. Well, that, that is a, like, that's not an AI algorithm. That's just saying, Hey, we're, we're going to send this, uh, send this outreach based on age and gender. And it introduces very clear biases. The uh, implication here is that uh, men under 40, like the, the, well, what happens here is if, if, if we're using that particular standard, then we're assuming that, Nobody under 45 years old is going to uh, need our cardiology communications and uh, no woman under 55 years old is going to need or receive those communications. Very clear age and uh, gender bias uh, being introduced there. But when we start using uh, like when we start start getting into the nuances and start start using examples uh, like looking uh, looking at millions of examples of patients and start looking at the correlations between those and and the people that have come in for cardiology services uh then you start expanding outreach outside of those uh, those like clear and solid age and gender uh biases so just as an example uh on the age uh component when, when we started using machine learning on these campaigns rather than just the um a lot like just those hard lines in the sand on age and gender in that group that was between 18 and 45, 27% of the incremental growth uh, in the campaign came from people that that was that that was between the age of 18 and, four, and and 45. So it's just a clear cut example on how by looking deeper into these nuances by uh, you uh, by 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 using data and, and thinking through how do we address the bias in, in like like in the, in the in the overall system it was basically a way of saying. The the prior approach, not using machine learning, was actually more biased than the uh, the AI approach. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So so d- just uh, that's a very clear cut example of how just going from a strictly age and gender based set of criteria to an AI driven model expanded you know the the parameters into a, in a more equitable fashion. But mm-hmm. I know AI itself now 
can needs to be trained also in a, in a proper way. So, so it's equitable. Um, mm-hmm. Can you explain how also, um, you know, by, by doing this, by, by applying more of a fairness, um, you know, looking at their AI and more of a fairness and, and equity kind of a lens can help marketers uh, not only do the right thing, but also move the needle on ROI. You know, are, are they leaving money on the table, you know, by not applying this equity lens to their AI driven applications? Yeah, yeah. It, now it is, is is often the argument that I I, I make last, but uh, when it comes down to uh, the dollars and cents of the equation, the the idea is, I mean, we, we live in a fee for service world. Uh, but if I'm not receiving the uh, communications that I need to to understand what like what uh, what healthcare issues I need to address, then it's missed opportunity for me. It's missed opportunity for me to be able to uh, better manage my healthcare. And it is missed volume and uh, revenue opportunity for uh, for the health system too. Um, in a lot of these cases where we like where where we've run the um, where we've run the data ethics pipeline, which is our, our basic way of saying, hey, we, we look at an algorithm, then we retune it to make sure that it's expanding outreach to, into these underserved populations and things like that. I mean, the 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 distribution of uh, like Medicare, Medicaid, the insurance, and things like that. Uh, the the I guess the, the dollars and cents things that that people are looking for. It doesn't have some sort of significant downward impact on like the socioeconomic uh, uh, target uh, targeting and things like that. So yeah, there there definitely is money being left on the table uh, by. Um, by allowing bias to perpetuate too. Hey, that prime example that that we just gave uh, the population between 18 and 45, uh, that, that campaign saw 27% of its gr- uh, growth from people uh, within an age range that would have otherwise been, igno- uh, been ignored. Sure, there, there you go. So I, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I, I'd like to uh, have you give a real, another real life example um, of how um, this strategy can really move the needle measurably on, on DE&I efforts. And, and then obviously, as, as you point out, that that kind of um, also can move the needle on on the top line as well. Tell me how, um, you know, one of, one of the things I, you know, I found very cool is, is not only how uh, you helped Actium achieve success in, in healthcare AI, but some of the academic collaborations that, that you've been involved in. Uh, one of these was with the University of Chicago's Booth School of Business, uh, which, as I understand it, tapped Actium's expertise to develop its own algorithmic bias playbook in order to replicate that success. Can you tell me about your work with Chicago Booth? Yes, yes. So one of the questions that we asked that they asked earlier is like, how do you define responsible AI? And that's a really, really hard question. Like you, I, I can give like that uh, politician answer uh, uh, and everything like that. But when, when it comes down to what metrics actually constitute fairness, like what, what should you like, what percent of uh, like bias then becomes acceptable in a production environment and things like that. Those are really tough questions. Like, and, and it, it requires, it requires a lot of thinking. It is not just a, a technological question. The technological question can be answered uh, by like coding out solutions that that produce models that have uh, various degrees of bias, but that's not that's not the hard part of this scenario. The hard part is is understanding uh, like a lot uh, a lot of the implications of what happens when outreach is structured in a certain way, and understanding like what what types of things should we be measuring um, and that's the, the that's where we we thought we needed outside help to address it uh so our search 
for uh, someone to, to like a third party to, to help us with these issues. Uh, it was really influenced by this uh, piece that came out in Scientific American by uh, Dr. Ziad Obermeyer back in 2019. This was one that where uh, Ziad and his team had uh, gone through a really uh, intense process in investigating an algorithm, investigating its output, and identified that this algorithm was significantly, uh, it was a health, an algorithm in place in healthcare, and it was significantly under serving black populations. There was a uh, program uh, identify that was to identify people for this. Uh, well, well, there, were, there was an algorithm that we're using to identify people who needed to be in this higher risk uh, healthcare program. And uh, what they found was that uh, black patients who had just the, who had the same number of comorbidities, the same number of uh, illnesses at the same time as white patients, they were they were one third as likely to be uh, incorporated into this program. So uh, the fact that they had found that, uh, that look, 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 they, they had done the done the work to find find the bias in that program and then found ways to address that bias. We just thought that uh, Ziad's team would be uh, a great partner. So he was connected to, uh, well, we reached out to him and he was gracious enough to, to get uh, to start working with us and connected us with the uh, Chicago Booth Center for Applied Artificial Intelligence, mouthful. But uh, in, in that work, that they had been working with various players on the uh, provider and insurance side. So it was uh, it, it was extremely helpful to be able to look like we had we we had some technological approaches that were that, that we're using and it was extremely helpful to uh, learn from them like get get feedback from them on our approaches get feedback from them on what to measure how to measure it how to uh, set up our goals and um, how to look at labels and things like that to uh, better and to, to to better address the, uh, uh, the the bias that we'd identified. And uh, there was a uh, application of that um, model to a cardiology program. As a consequence of that, uh, the people that they were targeted went up by 23%. Can, can you talk about that? How, some of the results there. You've been watching my webinars or something? You've been doing a lot of homework there. Uh, homework. Yeah. Reading books on the outside just to keep <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that that's an example I like to use, which is uh, like in a cardiology uh, in a cardiology outreach by enacting that model, we uh, increased the uh, outreach to under to underserved populations by 23 percent to black and Asian populations in that that model example that, you, that you're probably um, referring to. But th that's so it's, it's not that's one example that we we use, but we, we have uh a number of different services uh, that, that that are targeted that 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 we develop AI al algorithms around targeting, and we actually apply that data ethics pipeline to each and every one of those. So uh, you, you see, um, like one thing that we measure is what the uh, like what the outreach is before we we apply the data ethics pipeline, and and you you see results between uh, like sometimes it's as low as ten or as high as thirty percent uh, in terms of in expanding outreach to to these populations. So it's, it's kind of something that, that now runs in the background of uh, all the algorithms that we have in place for like if we have the appropriate racial and ethnic data, but runs in the background and uh, ex expands outreach uh, accordingly. Mm -hmm. So the, the takeaway there is that Chicago Booth vetted Actium's model, you know, for for data fairness. And, and now it, and that's the one you're applying in, in your work with, self, with health systems. 
Yeah. And, and let's, I want to de- go deeper on that takeaway too, which is Chicago booth vetted. And just when I think about it, like if it was, if it was just us vetting, I feel like if we just did it internally and uh, addressed it, like kudos on that, but it's still a tech company giving themselves a pat on the back. Uh, so I, I think it's important uh, for anybody who's pursuing this to, to seek out a third party like a Chicago booth, uh, but but seek out a, a third party to to validate and kind of explain these efforts and everything like that. I, I don't think that just an internal effort is is good enough for anyone when it when, when it comes to this. Sure. No, nothing beats the third party imprimatur, especially yeah. someone like that. And any other examples, Chris, of how Actium has implemented findings from the research with health system customers and, and the outcomes? So it, it's it's a fairly recent thing that we've enacted. So the, the biggest examples are developing the data ethics pipeline that uh, makes adjustments based on, on race, as we were discussing. And of course, being conscious about the like socioeconomic factors and age and gender factors in, uh, in the algorithms right now uh, that, that, uh, that we address, like the, the age bias thing in that cardiology thing, that uh, a cardiology algorithm that I was talking about. Uh, one thing that's on the road ahead, what, what, like, what, some, some things that we're working on right now are uh, when you start breaking down, like the, the, the CDC has made recommendations on how to collect information on sexual orientation and gender identity information. And EMR vendors are, are, are catching up with that. So um, I know Cerner made an announcement recently that uh, they're, they're collecting that information. Epic has been uh, collecting that information for quite some time. And I'm seeing a lot of health systems now uh, collecting that information too. So one thing that that's, that's, really uh encouraging is in at, like as a, a person who is is non-binary myself is uh seeing or seeing health systems uh start to go beyond just male like collecting male and female sex data gender data etc and uh start uh addressing that among people like across genders, across sexualities, across those, those spectra, there are differing healthcare needs. And by collecting that data, they can start acting on those needs. So where we might come to play is that we're, we're restructuring our data right now to be able to uh, capture that same information um, that hasn't been completed yet. We haven't uh, consumed that, 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 that SOGI sexual orientation and, and gender identity from information from a health system yet, but it's something that I, I think is important that, and that tech companies should start to to address because if there are uh, workflows or criteria that, uh, that that they're designing for uh, certain types of healthcare outreach, then it's important to start taking those kinds of uh, those kinds of factors into account to uh, either make predictions or recommend uh, services. So that that's something that we're working on right now that I'm excited about. Absolutely. That leads me to my next question. Um, I read that investment in AI, healthcare AI in 2022 is, is predicted to reach some $70 billion. Where would you invest that? You know, where, where do you, where else do you think are the big needs uh, in this area? You know, that one, uh, th- that one is, is tough too, but um, maybe, I, maybe I'm ex- extremely biased and I, I feel like uh I feel like healthcare. I, I feel like outreach technologies and and things like that. Um, like the, the there's there's tons of digital and enge- patient engagement uh, companies out there. But when we hear about healthcare AI being discussed, 
the most prominent examples that I hear about are on like the imaging side and, and using radiology images to uh, collect information, well, to, to, to make predictions about whether or not somebody has breast cancer, for example. Um, so I, I, if, if there's already investment going on there, I think that like patient the, the the patient engagement part is is a bit underserved. So when it when when it comes to the types of companies that can you that 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 can use AI or use data or use use various approaches and and focus on tech equity at the same time, um, I, I guess well, like I, I work at a patient engagement company. I'm saying hey, invest in patient. Like, like that's clearly clearly biased, but I I, I still I still believe that like. Uh, many of the most successful AI use cases have been based on um, identifying opportunities for growth. So uh, just just kind of given that rubric, given like, hey, let, let's find out what, what, it, what versus if you're looking at AI to cut costs versus uh, AI to drive growth, growth tends to be more uh, like tends to be a more accepted use case that that's more associated with uh, successful outcomes for those projects. So if we're looking like yeah, I, I would just recommend growth opportunities and, and patient engagement is a strong area to play there. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's OK that, uh, you know, you're as you put it, you know, advocating for more investment in, in equitable patient engagement and you work for a patient engagement company. I invited you on the podcast. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's cool. Um, finally, you know, just one more question. I'll let you go, Chris. I know it's uh, national minority health month in April. You know, what, what are the big priorities you think uh, that, that uh, you know, for healthcare marketers to think about as we go into uh, uh, you know, this national minority health month as, as it pertains to this area that we're, we've been talking about, you know, mitigating bias in healthcare data. You know, I, I want to give something that, uh, that, that without, Actium software and AI and everything like that, 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 that folks can just do, uh, or like work with their IT teams to be able to do, do, uh, like I want to, I want to give some advice that can be used internally, which is to like, find a, a place to start, find, uh, find a place to, to put a, a stick in the ground and say, okay, so here's the line here. Here's where we are right now. And this gives us the opportunity to grow because in a lot of cases, will talk to organizations and they're, they're not aware of the biases in their own data. So the, uh, I, I would advocate to uh, look at census data uh, for the communities and areas that you serve and uh, understand the gender and racial uh, breakdown uh, in the census data and then compare it to the data that's uh, within the health system itself. So perhaps looking at the uh, racial breakdown of the last uh two or three years of encounters, et cetera. And that gives at least a, an, an understanding of where the gap is. If you see that uh, you're in a 50% black area, uh, but only let's call it 37% of the, the patients that you're seeing are black, then I don't know what the, uh, what the cause of that is, that there, there, there could be many uh, many different causes there, but at least it's a it, it's a, a starting point to, uh, to to look at ways of addressing it. And there's a, a role that like there, there, there's a role there's a role that the healthcare marketer has to play. There's a role that everybody in the institution um, has to play in in, in in some sort of way. There everybody can, can can contribute in some in some kind of some kind of way. But if we at least look at like addressing those uh, addressing that gap as um, a metric to rally the organization around, then I think that. Once that's part of the strategy, then then it opens the opportunity for good decisions to be made elsewhere. That sounds like a great starting point, um, indeed. And um, 
you know, a, a great, you know, very basic, uh, you know, way for healthcare marketers uh, to to start just with awareness, you know, of mm-hmm. that, where that gap is. And then obviously the next step is, okay, how do we address that gap? But obviously it starts with awareness. So I, I want to thank you, Chris, for teaching me and, and others uh, listening to the program, how AI can be used better in healthcare. Thanks so much for joining us today. And uh, thank you for, for providing a platform for this type of conversation. I was flattered that you reached out. Absolutely. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.